0: God out of respect if you're physically not able to that's fine but if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter number three and I trust that you received a bulletin on your way in and if you're visiting with us today there's a copy of the outline you can follow along that way that's inside your bulletin this morning I begin a brand new series on uh, living out the Christian life called live it out and for 12 weeks we studied the new life that we have in Christ And this week we're talking about developing that part of your new life that only God sees. And, uh, you know, a lot of times we talk about this in theological terms as sanctification or living the sanctified life. And, of course, we are saved at the moment of salvation when we put our faith and trust in Christ. The biblical word there is justification. We are justified by faith in God. And then God wants us to understand that we are to be living out that's sanctification living out the new life and that's what this new series is all about and i've entitled the lesson today it all begins below the surface it all begins below the surface and we want to welcome all of you today especially those of you that are visiting with us today and we want to welcome all those that are listening Uh, by other means this morning and our, our friends that are listening in the spanish language And may God bless in no matter what language or what venue that he would use each one of those, that all of us would hear the truth as God would have us to hear it this morning. And so let's begin reading our passage this morning, and you follow along with me, Philippians chapter number three, verse number 10. The Bible says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain under the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already per- perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, Forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. How many of you have a past? <laughs> Every hand should be up. We all have a past. You're living in the present, and what you decide about the past today is going to determine your future. And may God help us to realize we can't change the past, but what we can do is live out what God has given to us in this matter of the new life. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for the Word of God, for the power of the Word of God, and I pray that you'd bless as we begin this new study. Lord, bless and use it in the lives of those that are here this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing this morning. Certainly, as I mentioned, salvation is the most wonderful relationship of our lives. Uh, I think about my relationship with my wife and how wonderful that is, but I'm going to tell you something. Uh, I was there when my children were born, and I loved being a part of that, experiencing that, but boy, uh, being saved and coming to new life in Christ and then also seeing other people trust Christ is the most wonderful thing that anyone could ever imagine. And when somebody receives the Lord, that new life is birth within them. Your salvation can never be taken away from you, your, your new life can never be lost. Why? Because the Bible says it's eternal, it's everlasting. Salvation means that we have been declared righteous before God. If you have your Bible there in chapter number 3, look back one verse from our passage. Look at verse number 9 this morning. The Bible says, And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God, by faith. See, we have been declared righteous before God. Our righteousness comes by the blood of Jesus Christ, God's own dear Son. And as a Christian, you and I, we have the advantage to live out our life. And as we do, we're living it out on what we call that solid foundation, which is Jesus Christ. I love a couple of good songs in the songbook. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust in the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. The, the song in the, in, the, in the hymn book, On Christ the solid rock I stand. Uh, you know, I think about all these songs and many others. The amazing thing is, is that although we have the rock, which is Jesus Christ, to have found our lives upon The amazing thing is even many Christians today is that we have mastered the art of the illusion of success all the while what we're doing is ignoring the foundation that God has designed for us to support our lives upon or to support us as we're living the Christian life. Can I tell you that it is possible to have the appearance of growing in Christ when all the while we'll have a crumbling foundation we need to strengthen the things that god has given to us as we study the word of god as we live the christian life every day we need to be thinking about the foundation that we have and how important that foundation is to us i think a great example of this is back in 1173 they began construction on what is a famous building and it's famous for one reason i know what it's called you know the building. They began construction in 1173. They completed it in 1372. They built on this building for about 200 years. The amazing thing is, is that after they built it, which they should have discovered this before, that it was built on soft soil. Uh, The dirt was really not conducive uh, on where they built it, They built it with only the way this structure, the size of it, it only has a 10-foot foundation. Some of you are looking at that like there's a problem with my picture. No, that's the building. It's amazing how this building has continued to lean. Uh, Years ago in the late 90s, I think it was, they actually began a process where they were trying to sure up this building so that it would not fall over. And the way they did that was they actually went down into the earth, and they began to try to add to that foundation or to support that foundation, this building, from the time it was built, every year continued to lean more and more. It's uh, off-center, 17 feet. (laughs) That's an amazing thing that it's even still standing. But I think about how many Christians whose lives, instead of standing straight up, Instead of standing on the right foundation and, and not allowing things to, 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 to erode our foundation, we continue in our lives to lean farther and farther and farther away, away from where we were when we first got saved. As we think about this illustration, look, each one of us need to understand that There are people around us whose structures are built on a poor, shallow foundation, on soft soil, just like the the Tower of Pisa. And if we would only take care of the outside in our lives and not put any effort into that part that no one else sees, which is that foundation, then our demise eventually will become obvious that our lives, like this building, if they would not do something to it, our lives eventually will fall. God doesn't want us to live a life that way. And so as we think about life, the Christian life, and it all begins below the surface, I want you to see the foundation of relationship that Paul writes about in verse number 10. Look at it again with me if you would. The Bible says here, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have... uh, Excuse me, verse number 10. He says that that, that the name of... uh, Let me get in the right chapter here. Here we go. Uh, Verse number 10, That I may know him... And the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death now as you read these words and paul is writing here you can sense that this wasn't a casual knowledge that paul had of god in other words look as a young man i grew up religious i grew up knowing about god it was a casual knowledge that i had of god but what Paul's describing here is not a casual knowledge, it is a, an intimate relationship. He says that I may know him. The word know means to understand. Paul says, I want to understand God. I want to be able to grasp and ascertain All about God especially uh, he says I want to be familiar with him acquainted with him and and he writes here that we need to know him first of all when you think of the foundation of our relationship it begins with knowing his person he says in verse number 10 that I may know notice he doesn't say about him he says that I may know him I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this morning Maybe search within your own heart. Do you know Him? Do you really know God this morning? There's a lot of people that know about God. But do they know Him? See, it's more than an intellectual knowing. It's a personal knowing of God. It means that we are spending time with Him. That we are sensitive and obedient to His voice. A Christian should live their lives to imitate God. That's what the Bible tells us. Look at Ephesians 5.1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. You, You cannot imitate somebody if you don't know them, if you don't know about them. The prophet Isaiah tells us, That God can be known. There are people today that say, how can you know God? Isaiah said, look what it says here in Isaiah 55, 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. I hope you got it this morning, seeking him. Better yet, I hope you got it this morning and you found him. Because God can be found and if God can be found then according to this passage we know that God can be known because when we find God then we can spend time with him we can get to know him God has has wanted throughout scriptures throughout history understand that God wants us to know him well how can we know God God has revealed himself to us one of the ways that God reveals himself to us is through the scriptures look what the Bible says in John 5 search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they, the Scriptures, are they which testify or which reveal me to this world. That's why we need to be in our Bible. God has revealed himself to us through the Scriptures, but he's also revealed himself to us through his Son, Jesus. Look at John 1.18. No man has seen the Father at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, look at these words, He, God, hath declared Him. So understand this morning that when Jesus came, that He was God in the flesh, God revealed Himself to this world through His Son, Jesus. The Bible says in Colossians 2.9, For in Him, in Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. See, when they saw Jesus, they were looking at God. He was God in the flesh. God has revealed himself to us. In many ways, he's revealed himself to us through the scriptures. He's revealed himself to us through his son, Jesus. He has revealed himself to us through his creation. Do you ever stand in awe of God's creation? You look at the sunrises and the sunset and the clouds, the mountains, the flowers. I mean, folks, I could go on and on. These are things that man cannot create. The the, the psalmist said it this way, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visiteth him? See, after all the ways that God has revealed Himself, and I could give you many more this morning. God has revealed Himself in so many ways, but if we still do not know Him, then according to the Bible, we're fools. Because God's given us His Word, and God's given us His Son. God's given us His creation, and yet we still, as a people, do not know Him. Look what Jeremiah said, for my people is foolish. Why? They have not known me. They are sottish children. They have none understanding. They are wise to do evil, but but to do good, they have no knowledge. Now, folks, when when you look at the scriptures, you find that God is not hiding from man. God wants us to know him. You remember the Genesis account? God created this world in six literal days. The crown of God's creation was man. And the Bible records that God came down to man to walk in the cool of the day in the garden, and he wanted to have fellowship and commune with man. God wants to spend time with you and me. God wants us to know him, and of course, even as much as God wants us to know him, because he is God, there are some things about him that we do not know. You think about some of these things, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The Bible records them as the secret things. They belong unto the Lord, our God, but those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. In other words, God says, look, I want you to know me and there's many things that I have revealed unto you, but there are some things that you do not know about me. Now the question this morning is, what are we doing with what we do know about him? Are we rejoicing in all that God has given to us? The whole Bible is about God. The whole Bible is about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God wants us as a people to know him and to know his Son. God wants us to enter into a relationship with him. John Milton wrote these words. He says, the end of all learning is to know God and out of that knowledge to love and imitate him. Even the word Christian, if you're saved this morning, the Bible says that we are Christians. The word means to be like Christ, a little Christ. We are to imitate. The Bible says that we would be conformed to the image of his own dear son. So we are to reflect him. We are to imitate him to this world that we live in. I was reading a a story about a man and a wife and They had been married for a number of years, and, and, uh, you know, they they know by instinct a lot of times, if you're like me and my wife, you know what your spouse's likes and dislikes are. You maybe know what her favorite flowers are, maybe her favorite foods, you know, and I get in trouble sometimes because I know what my wife's favorite candy is, and then I get it for her, and then she's like, I didn't need that. I'm like, well, there was something behind it, you know? I was just showing you that I loved you, you know? Don't eat it, just set it somewhere. <laughs> but you, how, how over all these years did I, did I come to the place that I know what her favorite flowers are, that I know what her favorite candy is, that I know what her favorite restaurant is, because I spent time with her. And how do you get to know about God? How do you get to know what is important to God? By spending time in his word, by spending time with him. And as we get to know him, it becomes personal. It's an intimate relationship. Paul says that I may know him. I hope you came this morning because, first of all, you know him And you want to spend time getting to know him better. I think about my life as a Christian these 35 years. I know him better today than the day that I met him. It's a personal relationship. He's my personal Savior. It's an intimate relationship. And this is what Paul's writing about. And the question this morning is, maybe you're here today and you've never had a time in your life when you said, listen, I I, I don't know God. I've never had a time in my life that I've received Christ as my personal Savior. Can I tell you, today is the day of salvation. You can put your faith in Christ today. Do you know him? Paul says that I may know him. I want to know his person. But notice also, he goes on to say in verse number 10, he says, not only that I may know him, and he says, and the power of his resurrection. He says, I not only want to know his person, but I want to know his power. Hey, folks, we try to do a lot of things in our own strength. But Paul says, look, I want to know his power, the power of his resurrection. Now, why does he say the power of his resurrection? Because what he's referring to here is a life-changing power, one that comes from the Spirit of God who lives within us. It is the Spirit of God that giveth life. Paul wasn't content merely to know this power. Paul wanted personally to experience this power. Look what it says in Ephesians 1 and verse 19. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe? According to the working of his mighty power. The Bible says in 2 Peter 1, 3, according to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. Look, folks, can I tell you this morning that below the surface of our lives, there must be God's power at work. Paul wasn't content with just knowing him. By the way, that's a great thing. That's where it all begins. But Paul says that I also might know his power. And then thirdly, he says, I want to know his presence. Look at the end of verse number 10. He says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now, what he's describing here with the word fellowship is the word communion. It's, it's to partake with Christ, to commune with him. And when Paul wrote these words, can I remind you that as he wrote these words that we call the book of Philippians, that Paul was in prison when he wrote these words, and as he was writing these words, he realized that the sufferings of life, now listen to this, Paul's sitting in prison, and here's what he's thinking as he's writing these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. He realized that the sufferings of life gave him a venue to have fellowship with God. I know a lot of times we don't think of that way when we're going through something. When we're suffering. When we're going through a trial. But Paul says, look, I understand while I'm sitting here in this prison. That God, look, he says, I know him. But I want to know him in a greater way. And I want to know his power. But while I'm sitting here in this prison, I'm experiencing his presence in my life. I'm having fellowship with him. It's a wonderful thing when we come to that realization. But rather than complain about Paul's problems, instead of looking for a way out, what was Paul doing? He looked at his sufferings as a tool. To experience the presence of Almighty God. Look what it says in Hebrews 4. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help when? time of need. I asked in Sunday school this morning, I guarantee if I ask it again, there are probably many hands, people, we're a needy people, are we not? I guarantee you this morning there are many of you this morning that you have need of something in your life. But the greatest need that you have this morning is that you need God's presence in your life. Without Him, we can do nothing. Without Him, we are nothing. We need the Lord. The mercies of the Lord are new every day. And as I think about this passage, and I think about what Paul is writing here, the deepest moments of fellowship with Christ can be the times of our most intense suffering. Suffering, you know what it does? Suffering drives us to seek the presence of God. Let me say it again suffering, times of trial, it drives us. See, we wouldn't do it if it wasn't for the suffering, but it drives us to seek the presence of God. You see, it all begins with the foundation what's below the surface. And that foundation is that we have to know his person and know his power and know his presence. But as Paul continues in this passage, I want you to see that he moves then from the foundation of his relationship to the formation of faith. Look with me in verse number 11, what the Bible says. Look at these words. If by any means, let me say those words again, because oftentimes we read our Bible, we don't pay attention. Did you see what he said? By any what? God, whatever you choose, no matter what it is, no matter by what means, he says that I, notice here, that I might attain... Under the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. This is the, the great apostle Paul. I don't have time this morning... But take some time maybe and go back and read Romans chapter number 7. Because Paul's writing to the church in Rome and he's talking about all the things. He says, the things that I'm supposed to do, I'm not doing those things. He talks about the struggles of life. The battle between the flesh and the spirit. This is the same person that's writing here to those in Philippi. And he says here, if by any means... He's talking about this matter of faith, having faith in God. Remember the foundation, we are saved by faith, but our faith cannot stop at salvation. Did you hear that this morning? That just as much as it took faith to be saved, we must live our lives by faith. The just shall live by what? We walk by what? And not by sight. So, We live our lives, and as we live by faith, what happens? Our relationship deepens. We have confidence in Him. It's important that this relationship gets deeper. Our faith in God should be constantly developing. Look, when somebody has a baby, that baby should not stay an infant. Now, if it stayed an infant... It would be a cause for concern. But I mean, think about it. That child should be growing. You know, Wednesday night we were out there in the the foyer after church and Patrick and Lynette were out there with their adorable little twins waiting for the next set of twins to come. (laughs) Just trying to help you along, brother. And uh, he set his son down and I'm telling you, that kid was gone. And and Patrick's like running after him, you know. And I thought that's a good exercise program right there. But if his son was still in a little baby car seat, still sucking on a bottle and a pacifier, I think Patrick would probably say, "We need to go to the doctor. There's a problem." But when a Christian gets saved, the Bible says we're a babe in Christ. Now you're saved. You're drinking the sincere milk of the word. But God says, look, you shouldn't stay there. He says there ought to be some growth in your life. This matter of faith comes into view. The maturing of our faith takes place as we continue to build on the foundation of our relationship with Christ. And Paul tells us why and how this would take place. Notice, first of all, in verse 11, he mentions the promise of the resurrection. See, it's salvation. Here's what happened. You and I that are saved, we experienced a spiritual resurrection. Now, here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Look at it. Verse 1 and verse 5 and 6. You, he hath, notice the word quickened, That's a word that means made alive. Only God can do that. Why does the Bible use that word? Because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Now it goes on to say, even when you were dead in sins, hath he quickened, there's the word again, us together with Christ, by grace are you saved. And look at these words. And hath raised us up together. There's the resurrection. Spiritual resurrection. And he's made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, we were dead, but now we're alive. We've experienced what the Bible calls a new birth. Too many Christians are still, still spiritual babies because they have never developed their relationship with God with, this, with the, the indwelling of the Spirit of God. Look at Galatians 2.20. Paul writes and says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I see that, that sounds like a negative thing. I'm crucified. But he says, look, it doesn't end there. He says, nevertheless, I live. He says, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Many Christians, their growth, In Christ is stunted because they don't reckon themselves Romans 6 to be dead indeed unto sin but they're but alive unto God through Jesus Christ they're still dead as far as now God has saved them they're alive but again they have not reckoned themselves they don't understand that once that relationship has been established that there ought to be the developing of that relationship and so that's why he's saying here that look we have the promise of a spiritual resurrection, that we were dead in our trespasses, but we have been raised up together to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So what is Paul saying here? He's encouraging those in Philippi and us today. Paul is craving to experience God living through him. Do you want God to live through your life? I hope you do. Look at Colossians 3 verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So Paul says, look, I I crave those things for my life. I want God to live through me. Well, how does this happen? Letter B, it happens through the process of transformation. Look back at verse number 12 in our passage again. Here's what he says. Not as though I had already attained either were already perfect, but I follow after it that I may may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. So, So he's talking about the process of transformation. The word attain that he uses there means to come to or to arrive. And when you read what Paul's writing here, look, he's writing this very humbly. Paul's saying, look, He's not bragging about his status with Christ. It's really a statement of his humility. He's recognizing, I'm not perfect. I don't have all my ducks in a row. I've still got some things in my life. You ever made a a mistake after you got saved? (laughs) I've made many. That's because we're not perfect. People come in sometimes and I talk to them and they're looking for a church. And, you know, I heard, I heard a preacher years ago, I, I, I've never been this bold to say this to somebody, but they say, you know, I'm, I'm looking for a church with this and this and this. And, and this preacher said to this person, he says, well, there's no perfect church because you just walked in the door. <laughs> See, we're we're all a work in progress. Paul humbly is writing here. He says, He says, I haven't arrived. He recognized he wasn't perfect. And a Christian's transformation, listen to me, folks. A Christian's transformation does not take place all at once. It's a process. You have to understand this. It takes place over the course of a lifetime. We should aspire to be more like Christ. As somebody said, nearness is likeness. That means if you're going to be around Jesus, then you're going to start acting like Jesus and behaving yourself like Jesus. But as we develop our relationship with him, here's one thing we need to do is draw nearer to him, be more like him, ultimately take on his likeness. And the big question this morning is this, does your life remind others of Jesus? Or when people look at you, or maybe even at work, are they surprised when they find out you're a Christian? I hope that's not the case. But whatever or whoever you're near is going to be reflected in you. You know, a young man leaves his home and he he oftentimes will leave his own plans and, and immaturity and he'll go off to the military. And somehow in this process, after boot camp, That same young man might find himself on leave, come home. When he comes home, he walks in, he's got confidence, he's got a little bit of stride in his step. All of a sudden, he's respecting his parents and those around him. He seems like he's got a greater outlook on life. Well, how did that transformation take place? I'll tell you how. Because his environment rubbed off on him. He was at boot camp. And if we're not careful, our environment will rub off on us. That's why we've got to have the right environment. If we spend time with the Lord, if we're in the Word of God, if we're around godly people, then Christ's likeness will begin to be reflected in us. Look at what it says in Romans 8. For whom he did uh, foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren and he uses the word their image and what is an image it's a likeness it's a representation of a person and when you when you look at that i mean does anybody recognize this image nobody nobody knows who this is that's who it is This is Ronald Reagan. Now let me ask you a question. Is this picture Ronald Reagan? It's not. It's an image. But from this image, we can see certain things about Ronald Reagan. And the Bible says here that we would be conformed to the image of his own dear son. See, we're not God, but we're created to be like him, to reflect him. Before you were born, the Bible mentions that God had a predetermined, listen to me now, don't misunderstand this. am not talking about the area of salvation. God doesn't, God doesn't have some plan that only certain people would be saved. The Bible says God is not willing that any would perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Boy, there's some people that teach some outright blasphemous things about that passage. But I will tell you this, God had a predetermined plan for your life and that predetermined plan was that you and I would be transformed into his likeness. That was God's plan. That transformation, it's completed. Remember, Paul says, I'm not perfect, I haven't arrived, I haven't apprehended, he says I'd like to, but that that transformation is complete at our death or at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, whichever comes first. That's when our maturity comes into play. Let's see, until then, what are we to do? We are to be conforming to the image of his son. Paul was saying, look, I want to stop pursuing the things of this world, and I want to start pursuing things that are Christ-like until the Lord takes me home. And I see here that Paul has a formation of his faith because of this transformation process in his life. I hope you understand this morning about the power of his resurrection that we have had a spiritual resurrection in our lives and that God wants to transform. That means he wants you to be transforming your life to be more like his son, Jesus. The world needs to see Jesus in and through us. But then I want you to notice thirdly, as Paul moves beyond the foundation of our relationship and the formation of his faith, notice the fixation of the will. Go back to our passage, look in verse 13. The Bible says in verse 13 as he concludes here, look at these words, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God, In Christ Jesus. Now, as I look at this, I'm thinking this as I read it this past week, because it all boils down to this. It's either your will or God's will. Remember what Jesus said? Not my will, but thine be done. And if Jesus, the Son of God, yielded his life to the will of him that sent him, and it's all going to boil down to your will versus God's will. He comes to the end of this having talked about the foundation, having talked about his faith. Here's what he's saying to us about his own life, but I believe it's a challenge to us. Is Paul's saying this, I want to finish strong. I don't want to just finish. I want to finish strong. He's thinking about his life, and he's determined to be faithful to Jesus, to finish his race well. It's staggering how many Christians quit the race. They get tired. Folks, we all get tired. This world doesn't need Christians that are quitters. They need to see people not only finish, but finish well. Be faithful to God till the end. The matters of life begin to fill our calendars and our lives. Before long, we're not in church. Before long, we're not reading our Bibles. Before long, we're not praying and caring for other people. Somewhere below the surface, their will is to finish their race has changed. If our foundation is faulty, like that leaning tower of Pisa, the structure above it will begin to lean and eventually fall. Because Just because things on the outside look well, it doesn't mean things on the inside are okay. A lot of times, especially with guys, I'll say to them, hey, is everything okay? How you doing? Here's your average man's response. Fine. Good. How you doing? Good. Everything okay? Yep. Yep. That's your average man's response. But on the inside, it's quite different. The faith isn't what it ought to be. The foundation is starting to be taxed. It takes intentional determination to fix our will on finishing strong. Are you determined to finish your race? God's race? God's will for your life? I love Paul's attitude about it, because notice, first of all, that he recognized his position. Here's what he says in verse 13. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. Paul wasn't satisfied with his growth spiritually. Don't raise your hand, but I'll say this about myself. I am not pleased with where I am as a Christian. I should be farther along in my life than I am right now. And Paul was the same way. He wasn't satisfied with where he was. He was a great man of God. But Paul wanted to be nearer to Christ. He knew that he had room to grow. And so what was he doing? He recognized his position. And then he goes on to where, secondly, he rejects the past. Because he says in verse 13, as we read on, I count on myself to have apprehended, but, he says, even though I'm not there yet, He says, this one thing that I do, notice it wasn't many things, it was just one thing. He was fixated, and his fixation was this. He says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. What is he doing? He's rejecting his past. I asked you earlier, we all have a past. Hey, why do you think in our Bibles we have a book called 1 Corinthians? Because those believers in Corinth, although that church was approximately about six years old, those believers in Christ, you know what they had? They had a past. They had a lot of baggage. They were living carnal Christian lives. That means that they were saved, yes, but they were still living in the flesh. They hadn't moved from the past forward. And so God had Paul write some words to help them to understand. You need to forget the past, forget the idolatry and the prostitution and all the things of the past, and you need to move on with your life in Christ. You need to live out the new life that God's given to you. See, Paul, like us, Paul had a past. And he, like all of us, was ashamed of it. I mean, folks, I rarely talk about things in my past. You know why? Because I'm ashamed of it. I mean, a lot of times I think to myself, if this church really knew the person that's pastoring this church, they wouldn't want me to pastor this church. People look at me sometimes like I'm some kind of super Christian. No, I'm a man I put my pants on just like you do. I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God. There's no perfect people here, folks. I'm not sitting high on some throne. I mean, if we stood in a line today in heaven, I wouldn't be in the front of the line. I don't even, I'd, just, I'd just be happy to be in the line. But look, Paul was saying, I've, I've got a past. And, and when Paul began to think about his past, you know what he was thinking about? All the Christians he persecuted. All the people that he, he, he took the men and the women out of their homes. Why? Not because they did some heinous crime, but because they had faith in Christ. See, if anybody had a reason to hang their head, it was Paul. But Paul, notice here in his words, he was wisely choosing. And I hope you you would heed this today. He was wisely choosing to leave the past behind. Some of you let the past haunt you. Time and time again, God has told you it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. And here's what you do. You come to the house of God with that. You sit and listen to the message of God. And then you get up and you walk out of the house of God and you carry it right back out with you. And every day during the week, you carry it with you everywhere you go. And God says, why don't you just reject the past? You can't change the past, folks. Paul was thinking about his life and how ashamed he was, and he says, I'm choosing to forget those things that are behind me if we hold on to the defeats. And listen, even sometimes, if we hold on to the victories of the past, both of them will lead to our demise. And so Paul, what does he do here? He begins to think about this, and he wants to get his focus off of the past, and he, he wants to get his focus on God. What is God doing in your life today? That's what you need to be focusing on. You know? So Paul recognizes his position and he rejects the past. But then notice, let her see here, Paul ran to the prize. Look at verse number 14. As he finishes verse 13, he says, Reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. I notice this is, this isn't some accolade this isn't some uh, thing that man has conjured up paul says he says look here i'm pressing toward the mark of for the prize of the high calling of god in christ jesus to press toward means to run swiftly in order to catch a person or thing that's what he was doing paul had one goal in view and that goal was that he wanted to swiftly run after God. The prize here that he's describing is Jesus, that I may know him. He says, I want to get a hold of God. Remember the woman that had the issue of blood? She had one thing in mind. If I can just touch him. Remember what Jesus said when she touched the hem of his garment? Someone's touched me. Remember what his disciples said? Lord, all these people here. Are you kidding? People bumping into us. There's all kinds of... And and Jesus said, no, no, I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. Somebody with a touch of faith has touched me, the Son of God. And that's what Paul is saying here is, is that he wants his life as he runs toward God, that he wants the prize. Hey, folks, I'm not... I'm not living my life so that I can have things on my wall in my office and so that people will bow down or or look up to me. No, no, no. I want to live my life for the prize, and the prize is Jesus. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, looking unto Jesus. Why? Because he's the author and the finisher of our what? Of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. Paul's describing himself here like a marathon runner. You know, he says, I'm just going to run this race until God calls me home. Folks, we should be the same way. We should be committed in our lives to finishing strong, to fix our eyes on the Lord, to give God all that we can give to him. Not my will, God, but thine will. Be done. Paul says, look, I, I have a fixation of my will. And he realized who he was. And he, he rejected what he had in his past. And he says, I am going to run towards the prize, and that is Jesus. I'm going to keep my eyes focused at, at the conclusion of Paul's life Paul could say that he had been faithful. Look what he records here in 2 Timothy 4. He says, now I am ready to be offered. And he says, at the time of my departure is at hand, I have fought a good fight and I have finished my course and I have kept what? I've kept the faith. What a testimony. You know what this is? It's a testimony of a man who built below the surface. See, his life wasn't a leaning tower of Pisa. His life stood tall. That's why we talk and preach about the testimony of Paul's life. Because he had the right foundation. And he began to build his faith on that foundation. And he he didn't let anything distract him. Not the past, not anything. He had a fixation of his will that my goal in my life is that I would be more like Jesus. And the only way that he could be more like Jesus is if he could catch him, so that he could spend time with him, so that he could be more like him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, I wonder this morning, do you have the foundation Do you know Christ as your Savior? I wonder by an upraised hand this morning you can give a testimony. Pastor, I've had a time in my life that I've put my faith in Christ and I know that if this was my last day on this earth, I would spend eternity with the Lord. Can you slip your hand up this morning as a testimony that you are saved? What a wonderful sight this morning. If you could not raise your hand, in just a moment we're going to give what's called an invitation. This is a time where if you've never done this, because salvation is a one-time experience, if you've had a time where you've done this, then you don't need to come again for salvation because Jesus died once for the sins of the world. But if you have not been saved, we invite you when the music begins to play in just a moment to step out and come forward. We'll have somebody take the Bible and show you from the Word of God how you can know that you have eternal life. And if you are saved this morning, you have that foundation. Are you living out the Christian life? It took faith to be saved, but it also takes faith to live the Christian life. How's your faith in God this morning? Are you trusting the Lord for every area of your life, your finances, your health? How about your will? Is your will so strong that there's no way for God to work in your life? Or are you fully surrendered to whatever God would want? Is your life focused on the prize? And the prize is Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes?